Hi y'all! We are at the end of this 12-part series with this very special episode where I talk to some of the people that you sent to me. These are people that you wanted to hear from, so they share their backgrounds and experience with us, and we'll also get to hear from David McMichael, one of the three co-founders of Hyperreal Film Club. What a perfect way to top off the series. Thank you to everyone who sent me people's emails, sent me DMs, or even connected me with other people. This has been super helpful in developing this episode. I mean, obviously, I don't know everyone, and I want to be sure to be bringing you people that you want to hear from. Now, some people I didn't hear back from or didn't have the capacity to fit into the episode. So if there's someone who I missed, I am truly sorry, and I hope there will be an opportunity in the future to somehow figure that out. The first person that we'll hear from today was sent to me via Instagram DM, and I was super interested to talk to her because she's creating a community film space and regional archive in the Rio Grande Valley. Not only is she a filmmaker with a ton of expertise, she's also a colorist and an archivist and has spent a good chunk of her career handling good old-fashioned film with her hands. The person I'm talking about is C. Diaz, and she'll take us through her journey and how she'll be building this artist-driven community space in the Valley. I would love to hear about your kind of background, where you started, um, and kind of your journey to, um, you know, one, finding your focus, and two, finding yourself back in the RGV and the efforts that you're doing there with Entre. I mean, it's kind of a, a winding road of a story, as most, like, artists artists might have like as a story of their of their artistic career if you want to call it that um, mine is more like a curiosity led like exploration um, the way I've kind of fallen into all of these things is through just being curious and wanting to explore different parts of um, different like themes or subjects and stuff like that and I think that's what's cool about being a filmmaker it's like you get a kind of branch out and like kind of dive into anything that you want to explore and like kind of do research. And I, I, I love research and things like that. Um, I started making movies when I was 13 on like my family's little handy cam um, with my friends and our toys and shooting things in sequential order because I didn't know how to edit on a computer and things like that. Um, so I was always really interested in storytelling in that way. But I continued uh, following that I like um, interest through high school and in high school, um, there was a program called KMAC that was offered at Mac High in McAllen. It was a magnet program, media program for the three high schools in the McAllen area. We managed all like the homeroom newscasts that would be shown in our classrooms and stuff like that. So um, I learned how to edit. I learned how to shoot. I learned how to produce. We would shoot the football game. So I learned how to like TD in a black box and switch from cameras. And so I was very like much like involved in like production. And I got a lot of my background of filmmaking and production and kind of organizational methods through that program. No one really like kind of nurtured the artistic uh, sense of where I was kind of playing with uh, my ideas and stuff like that. I would make um, like video art and, st and not know it was video art, you know, sort of thing. Um, and no one was really telling me what it was. I was just doing it and trying to get it shown on the TV at school and stuff like that. So I just like was just I fell in love with editing and like kind of montage and figuring out like where like how to create a story or uh, a series of images through 
just putting them together and playing with the color and stuff. I didn't know anything about color correction or anything like that at that time. I was just playing around with the program and kind of just learning it from there. Um, I was able to go to the, into the RTF uh, program at UT Austin. I was also very involved in the DIY like punk scene down here. So like me and my friends would like put host house parties or like house shows and, and uh, host shows in like parking lots of, you know, uh, like, uh, like VFWs and things like just like organizing little events here and there and playing bands and, and just like kind of being in that creative community um, was really important to me as well. So not only was it like a boot camp with, with school and stuff like that, but like, and, and through the media program, but it was also like through the punk scene, like I was learning how to do things on my own and not asking for permission to do things, you know, like, and I think that's an important thing with like filmmaking. No one gives you no one's going to be like, yeah, go make your movie. You know, it's like, you kind of have to be like, I'm going to make this movie or like, I'm going to work on this project and I don't care what, you know, I'm not going to wait around for someone to give me money or going to give me the, the go ahead or the green light. Like I, if it's something I care about, I'm going to be pushing for it. And that's what I, you know, I think that's where a lot of that passion and that, um, that strength came from because filmmaking is a hard, hard, uh, a line of work to be in you have to really really love it so yeah so yeah in college I I uh, I, I did more like I, I did was more um, introduced to experimental filmmaking expanded cinema video art installation stuff like that so that's where I started becoming more in interested in more avant-garde experimental filmmaking which is what I felt really spoke to my own way of storytelling during my time in school, I was doing a lot of, of those types of classes, a lot of production classes, um, um, some outlier classes that were more art focused, um, but still in the school of communications. Um, that's where I learned how to, to, to paint on actual film, which is some, a practice that I love doing and I still incorporate into my work to this day. And um, and yeah, and, and during that, during UT, I went to, uh, I did like a, a, uh, study about abroad program at FAMU in Prague and that was one of the major that like really solidified what kind of films I wanted to make as well because that's where I was introduced to the film Daisies by the director Vera Chitalova. Chitalova. She's a you know a Czech new wave director from the 60s and that film we watched it in class I'd never seen it before and we were all all our minds were blown all our little American minds were like oh <laughs> Uh, uh, and she came and spoke to our class and, and she, she, I always like reference this, but she, she came in and she was like super, like such a badass, like wearing sunglasses, like all, all dressed in black. And she came in real serious. And she was just like, literally the first thing she said to our class was like, you can't make a movie if you don't know who you are, or like, you can't make a film if you don't know who you are. And I was just like, Oh, that cut that hit that cut deep you know I'm just like he's so right you know like it's like a writer you know you can't really write if you're not living you know so like as a filmmaker it's like if you don't if you're not living and like exploring and being curious and 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 investigating and doing these things and like trying to learn more about yourself um you're not going to be making work that resonates with a lot of people you know it's like it comes from like a very deep knowing I feel so 
So yeah, that stuck with me. <laughs> and so I moved to New York straight out of graduation with two girlfriends um, and our two dogs. And we all moved into this apartment in Brooklyn. And I went without a job or anything in mind. We were just moved in the dead of winter, had never seen snow before. It was just a huge culture, like shock. But um, probably the one of the best decisions I ever made to do was move to New York at that time in my life. It's a, it was a really great space to learn and grow and also meet new people within the, the film community, um, like organizations like Mono no Aware, which is a nonprofit organization based in Brooklyn that offered, um, that offers like workshops on shooting on film and processing your film and contact printing, all that stuff. Um, I ended up taking another direct animation workshop with the founder, Steve Kosman, and um, I got back into painting on film and handling film again because I had gone fully back to like digital cameras and stuff. And I had like my little camcorder that I'd carry with me. But I was like, I miss film. Like, I want to get back into it. So I took a class with him and and uh, made a film and then I got really into it. And then that's why I was like, OK, I'm just going to focus on my work being fully on celluloid. And so, and they were what really wonderful organization. Like at the time they were very small, just starting out. Now it's like a full on, they have a film lab, they have a scanner. They're like a, a really established uh, nonprofit and they have a festival every year for expanded cinema pieces. And um, uh, they're just really awesome in, in advocating for arts and artists and film and just the knowledge of film and sharing that knowledge. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I just like was kind of kind of over New York. I never got used to the winters. I was always unprepared for winters in New York, even though I had lived, I lived there for five years. So I was kind of exploring like other options uh, still within the industry, but I really wanted to focus with film like celluloid. So I did some, I was doing research and I stumbled across um, AMIA, which is the Association of Moving Image Archivists. It's a, a, a large uh, global organization. And uh, their website's amazing. They have a whole like list of resources and vendors that they represent and work with or that are part of the community. And so I literally just went down the list of those places, looked them all up and saw like what they were doing. And I was like, I just want to like handle film. There was a place in Brooklyn that was doing um, digitizing of film to digital. And I went to drop off some film there at one point. And I was like, how do you get this job? Like, I want that job. <laughs> and so uh, I would talk to, I talked to them. They didn't have any openings, but I just literally sent out hundreds of emails like to, to rent like people all over, like who were doing cool stuff like in that realm of film scanning and, and, and stuff like that. And then I got an email from someone in LA, um, uh, the owner of this company that's no longer around called Sinalicious. They were a boutique post house and the owner liked my work and was just like, have you ever considered being a colorist like you know like have you thought about that I'm like I don't even know what that is you know like, and so um we ended up meeting up in New York and uh we hit it off like we just kind of had like an informal lunch uh and they offered me a job and I moved out to LA a few months later and and started working at the company um as like kind of a color assist slash um I was just doing everything. I was I was doing a lot of stuff. We we uh, scanned. We were working on major like film restorations, and um, so we would scan like old film and um, recolor remaster it and clean up any dirt and dust digitally, repiece it together, get the audio uh, um, restored and stuff like that, and marry it all back together. We did a big uh, Western series called Death Valley Days. 
it's all black and white westerns from the the 50s and 60s um so we did the whole series um so I was like always in and out of the vaults picking up films and cleaning them running them through the scanner I learned how to operate the scanners and different formats and do all of that we'd also do like new stuff too like Beyonce shot lemonade all on 35 anamorphic so we got to scan that and that was really cool to see come through yeah so I learned I learned a lot like the senior colorist there Lynette Dunsing um she's amazing she actually colored uh the Nirvana smells like teen spirit video and so I would just like uh, I never like seen how a colorist worked before but she was so she's like she I owe so much to her she was like a wonderful mentor and like just I you know it's 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 um hard to find people who are just open to telling you about their path or like just like what they're doing like you know in the industry it feels like you have to earn your stripes and stuff like that and like to to a certain point you do like you do have to like try out every role see what you fit most better best in like what is conducive to your own skill set or like what you want to explore if you want to be on set if you want to be on post like there's all these different facets so yeah I do like recommend you know people like trying things out but it's it's rare like you know when people are just like really like open and and generous with their knowledge and information like uh, it was uh, that's what I experienced moving to Los Angeles and like finding and being in that space like people were I asked so many questions I was just asking questions all the time and they would never like just say like oh look it up yourself or whatever You're like oh you need to learn this here on, on your own you know they always would help like always would lead me in the direction that I needed to be led and I would do my own research after that so you know I was like you need to just tell me once and then I will take it from there you know I've just been thinking, I'm like, you know, it just, it's uh, something that always just feels right, you know, like when you're seeking something and what direction to go in and you're not sure and everything's so uncertain, you know, it's just like, you can only just listen to what feels right to you, you know, and you can't like listen to the noise around you. Like people will tell you, like, you have to do this way. You have to go this way to be a director. You have to go this way to be in the industry. You have to do this. You have to, you know, follow these steps, you know, whatever. And there's not I, like, that's why I'm like, there's no linear path. It's like a freaking spiral all over the place. Yeah, it's like I'm constantly rerouting myself. I'm like, oh, I'm back here again, you know? So, um, so LA was really formative for my color years. So that's when I started doing more color correction and, and, and learning about that and learning about archival and preservation work, which is something I'm really passionate about. Um, and I, I didn't realize how much I, why I was so, how I was so interested in, I've always been interested in home movies, watching home movies, looking at old photographs from my family's like archives and stuff. And like hearing old stories, like stuff, like, you know, like just history and like, um, place and, and culture and people and land. And so, um, the archival world just totally I fit right in there you know just like and I was like oh my gosh and that was like a whole new facet of the film community like industry that I had no idea even existed either so you know um I was able to be introduced to all that during that time I started to build a network of of community there and at the same time of living in Los Angeles I started becoming involved with um the Echo Park Film Center, which is a, a community film center in Echo Park in, in, in LA. Um, they've been around for already 20 years. They're amazing. They, they, sh they focus on analog um, cinema, some more like 16, Super 8, stuff like that, but they do do digital stuff. Um, 
one of my friends and my like uh, one of my longest collaborators, he does all the work for my uh, all the all the sound mix and soundscapes for my films. He was living in Los Angeles and his partner at the time was really a co-op member there at the film center. And he was just like, you need to come to the film center. Like, this was like the year I moved to L.A. He's like, you come check it out. You'll love it. There's really you're going to find really cool people and they have this residency. You should apply for it. And so. Yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah, you're telling me to do this. So I applied for the residency. I went to the film center, went to a few screenings. I fell in love. I was like, this is the space for me. Um, it just felt very comforting and everyone was very like welcoming and just very like wanted to like, know, like, just know what you're working on, you know, like talk, just talking about the work um, and just life. And so I applied for that residency, which was a um, a two-month uh, residency for an LA artist to make a piece of work and present it to the community and you would also have to be like uh, you would have access to all the gear and everything within the film center you'd have a liaison so someone so one of the co-op members would help you through your project if you wanted to learn how to do anything like process film or use the optical printer they would help you like navigate that and then um, you had to provide something for the community so either a screening or a workshop or a lecture, whatever, um, whatever you wanted to give during your time. So I had two months, I did an expanded cinema piece with a dual projection, um, 16 millimeter hand processed film. <clears throat> and, um, so, and, and I learned how to hand process my film. I, I shot 16 millimeter for the first time and I learned how to use the optical printer. And so I wanted to do all these, I was like, I just wanna learn how to do all these things and find a way to combine them all. And so I did that. And so after I, I completed that um, residency, I became really involved with the film center. I just became like part of the family. And once you're part of that family, like you can't, you don't leave because you're just supported, you know, you're just supported in all senses. And I uh, curated a few screenings there. I taught um, a few digital color correction intro workshops there. So I was just like constantly like in that space. Um, I screened a lot of stuff there. I programmed with different other members and different other, um, we programmed outside of the film center and different other like screenings and stuff like that. So we became a little, I became part of that family and that network. And, um, and they, they, they continue to inspire me. Like I, I wouldn't have felt um, okay with calling myself an artist if I hadn't been put in that space and given the opportunity like the residency to be like oh I am an artist like I can call myself that you know like it took me that long to be okay with calling myself an artist at first I was always just like oh I'm an editor or I'm a you know whatever you know and it's like it's okay you can call yourself an artist like you know like because that's what you are and and so they they like encouraged everything they were very welcoming so I've been inspired by that space in Mononoaware. Like I was just like I, I when I I knew when I visited both of those places, especially the film center in LA. Um, I knew that if I had that when I was growing up, uh, my life like you know the not that I don't you know I don't want to like talk about the past or the you know life how it could have been, but I just would have had more um, encouragement and nurturing around like uh, practice and given more outlets to kind of um, explore rather than just being kind of contained in my own bubble, trying to make stuff and then not it being acknowledged by other, my peers or my, um, you know, uh, teachers or professors or things like that. So um, I always had it in my, I had it in my head. I was like, one day I want to go back to the Valley and I want to start 
a film center in the valley so that way it can be just like this film center here in the community like it's it'll be great for the community we need this you know after I left I was really involved with the film center I was making films I I, I kind of average a film a year so I'm just like one short experimental film a year um, so I was still doing that my own stuff um, and yeah and then 2020 happened <laughs> I've been really fortunate enough to, as a colorist, you know, be able to work remotely for even before the pandemic hit. Um, I was working on stuff for people in Texas and LA and New York and, you know, Mexico, everywhere, you know, just like just kind of doing that uh, remote life. And it was great, you know, and when 2020 happened, um, you know, everyone was like, well, let's finish our films. We're in post now, you know, like my, we can't shoot anything. So let's you know, pivot. So I did like color a lot. I was, I think 2020 was probably like my, 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 my CPA was like, that's your best year. And I'm like, like, yeah, thanks. Great. You know, despite everything, um, you know, it was best year in terms of like, you know, constant work. I'm very fortunate that I had that, that I was able to um, still work and still um, be able to support myself and support my community, you know, and be able to offer resources and things to people um, that needed it whether that be monetary or, or skills or just my time. Um, I, I try to do that, uh, very, very much, but, um, 2020 definitely was a time where, um, a lot of, you know, foundational, um, like the scaffolding of your life was taken into, you know, into consideration, like, what am I, what am I doing here? Why am I doing it? is it speaking to me still? Like, do I need to recalibrate? I had been wanting to come back to the Valley for some time now. I had shot a film down here in 2017. Um, and, uh, I just, I, I, I feel like a really strong connection to the land itself down here. Um, I'm a pretty spiritual person. So like, I feel very like, I, I, I take up on a lot of energies and like, um, people and, and situations like, so I have very synchronistic ways of living my life. So when I was down here, I, I like like mobilized a lot of people who didn't really know one another to come and shoot a film on 16 millimeter. No one had a shot film before. Only my DP was the only one that everyone else was from the Valley. She was from San Antonio. We met at film school and she like also hadn't really shot 16 millimeter on her own before she had loaded for for sets and stuff like that but I was like I trust you you know you know you know you know what you're doing and she did it I mean it did a beautiful job and we had a great team but you know everyone was just super like grassroots you know about this this film and uh I just felt like a really good like energy and presence from the people around me at that time and I was just like I just I wish I could come back and do what I'm doing in California you know here um and you know for a long time I'd been talking about it and just like oh it's just it's just a dream you know like I have to be in California to do what I'm doing you know or have to have to be in these bigger cities you know or and so it's just like a lot of things were coming up that that were just like being like it was like the universe being like and here's another door and here's another door opening up for you to go back home you know like it's ready you know it's time and so um yeah I just like made the decision at like around uh October or so of 2020 September October I was like I think I'm just going to, you know, pack up all my stuff, put it in storage back in the valley and go home and see what the next move is. Because 
I'm doing what I'm doing here remotely. I can do it remotely over there and be with my family who I haven't lived around for like 15 years um, and be able to, you know, save money because I don't have to pay 2K in rent <laughs> every month for my for my apartment. Um, so, I, you know, it's just like trying to think about like the best move for myself at that point was to come home. And it was such a beautiful homecoming. Like I love being here with my family and being able to be with the community that a lot of people that I grew up with are still like here and doing really cool stuff. Like I already knew that, like I'd been following their work for, you know, the years since I've been gone, I've been following everyone's stuff that they've been doing down here. And I'm so impressed and in awe about like how amazing, how many artists we have down here, how many um, awesome thinkers and like people that want to see different like ways of structuring society and like how they're taking that into practice with their own businesses or their own ventures, you know? Um, so I was just like really excited to be back in that. And like the energy has been super palpable, like recently, but like also since I've been here, but in the past recent months, it's been really intense and beautiful. So, um, so yeah, I came back here at the beginning of 2021. I've been living with my grandma and uh, working. I have a studio space. I got a studio space, which has been nice at the Creative Incubator downtown, which is an old library that I used to frequent all the time when I was young. So it's like this weird full circle situation. <laughs> I've, I've talked about the film center a lot to, to people that I, that I trust, that I, that I know that um, we've collaborated before in some way. I've been following their work. Um, and I've, I wrote like this manifesto about it. And I just sent it to a few friends that I was like, this is what I want to start. Like, is this something you're interested in, like coming on board and helping me with? I need, I need help. Like, I can't just do this myself, you know? And that's been like also a hard lesson as a person to learn, like that you can't do everything yourself, you know? And like, especially as like a, uh, artist like you think that you have to do all the parts you know and but um or in film as well I think that's been a hard lesson for me I'm very like solo filmmaker I paint on film so it's just me but when it came to like shooting a, a film with a crew you learn about that collaborative teamwork effort and and also being in the film center in LA I learned about what it, how much better it is when you have more people around to infuse the the work with their skills and their knowledge right so yeah, I was just sending this manifesto around me and like, who wants to help me? <laughs> um, and my friend Andres Sanchez uh, was like, I'm so down. So me and him have been the ones uh, kind of uh, laying the groundwork for Entre, which is uh, a community-based uh, film center and regional archive that we're establishing here in the Rio Grande Valley. And I was just awarded a grant to get it off the ground through the Interchange Artist Grant in the Mid-America's Art Alliance. I've never received a grant in my entire life. <laughs> I had applied to a few when I first started moving here and kind of like thinking about the idea and after I wrote the manifesto, it started to crystallize kind of like, okay, what are we offering? Like, what is this space? Like, um, why is it necessary? Like, who is it serving, you know? And, um, and yeah, so like I've applied to so many grants throughout the years. I've never received any of them, but I think this one was important because it is um, focusing on social practice and as an artist, like how do you involve the public in your, in your work and this whole film center is a is a community space so it's not my own it's a vision that I have but it's like it's going to shape and evolve with what the community needs you know we plan to run it as a cooperative so it's artist run um, anyone who is part of the co-op 
makes the decisions and makes the programming, makes the workshops, the curriculums, things like that. So there's it's all horizontally uh, managed rather than being some hierarchical, um, you know, top down sort of president or whatever director. Um, and that's the way I feel the, like most comfortable, like making decisions with the community and making sure that we're hearing the needs of the community and not just in, imposing what we think we need, we want, they want, you know? So, um, so yeah, so these are all like ideas and, and this grant will be able to help us start, you know, getting gear, getting, um, uh, like admin stuff off the ground. Um, and also the specific project that this grant is funding is a, film series that the that Entre will be commissioning filmmakers. They'll be commissioning filmmakers from the Texas sides of the valley. So, uh, and then the sister city of Mexico side to make a, a collaborative film about like a, a city symphony about the region that they're from. So like Brownsville and Matamoros, we get a filmmaker from each side and they would collaborate on making a film together about this liminal space that is the valley because I consider the Rio Grande Valley also part parts of Mexico I mean the river isn't just a division you know it's a, it's un, unification of this region so um so yeah we're trying to that's the bigger project that that this grant will specifically fund throughout the year of 2022 so um so yeah right now it's just kind of laying the groundwork and kind of getting stuff situated what are you kind of excited about in the valley you know aside from what you're creating and based off of all of the people that you've been following over the years and kind of seeing that trajectory what are you excited about and and where do you see filmmaking out of the valley uh kind of going well i'm excited about a lot of things about the valley um the people for one. I mean, there's, we just, uh, I was also part of uh, Mida Media Fest. I was one of the organizers for this uh, experimental media festival that we put on last month in August. I was blown away by how many talented people there are. And like, not that they're, that I didn't know that, but like just the fact that they're just so, a lot of people don't feel like they can call themselves artists. And I know where that comes from, you know, cause we don't have the nurturing we don't have that that space of like all of us who were organizers for that festival. We all had the same story about like we were involved in things like I was involved in that media program and filmed football games, even though I didn't really like football. But I loved like following the ball with the camera, you know, like and I learned how to do all these things. I did it out of necessity to continue learning how to you know practice my art form, which I didn't know was an art form at the time. So we were all like, we all have similar stories, you know, like that we had to be involved in these different extracurriculars in order to be able to pursue a creative urge, you know, a creative desire. And, um, and we didn't know that that what it was until we left and we're like, oh, or, or that we got older and went to college and we're like, oh, or, you know, someone showed us something like, oh, that's what I was, I've been doing this whole time, you know? So we all like felt like, you know, we needed a place like that. And Mita was like a great place to like have that hub of, of creativity and, and artists who, who wouldn't normally want to call themselves artists to be like, I am an artist and I have been featured in this festival, you know, and like, and we created like a good, a great community out of it. So I'm really excited about the people um, and uh, the, the new artists that I'll be meeting and that the people that are going to be coming out of places that maybe we haven't tapped into yet, you know, and just like by, by making this space a community space, like it's open to all, you know, like 
who is going to be coming in, what kind of people, like what, what kind of stuff will they bring to us and what kind of stuff can we give them? You know, like this reciprocity that, you know, needs to be happening in all our community settings. And that's another thing I'm really uh, excited about too. Like I mentioned, a lot of people down here are starting to do business differently and starting to do uh, community engagement differently. You know, there's a lot of like mutual aid efforts. There's a lot of, um, uh, of like, um, you know, just like, ways of of sharing our knowledge and our talents and our skills that aren't being exploitive you know so and I think that's like a very um I I operate from my own business standpoint as a colorist and as a filmmaker I operate in a very like anti-capitalist like way and I try and you know we all live under the system and that's just the fact of it but there are ways to to be conscious of how you're engaging with your your clientele with the people that you're serving the people that are coming to you um so i think all of those things are like being in be being considered down here by people that have the the privilege to to make those decisions and have these spaces so i don't know i think it's cool that that might become like a, a normal thing for for a community down here um and just to bring back that that sense of community because uh, I mean, even through the pandemic, we've become, I feel like closer because of the internet, because we've been able to like kind of dip into like, oh, I can meet someone from across the world and have like a Zoom call with them. And that's cool, you know, and connect, make those connections. So I think now we're all kind of like these little, these little like neuro pathways or like little light ups, you know, little connections that we can make with people throughout the world, but also within our community. And I feel like the things that the, the global mindset of, of ideas that, you know, what Entrem could be and like what it represents, it needs to happen through the community first. It's like thinking big, but also working locally, you know, like, and, and doing that work locally because it's important to do it at the local level before, like, you know, having a bigger expansion of vision of what our futures can be, especially as like in this region of like, you know, borders and, and things that, that, um, that separate us from others, you know, like, how can we unite this again? How can we bridge that, you know, and, and to do that, I don't know, Entre is just like something I think that will help fuse all of that. So I'm really excited about where it can go. Um, it's very like uncertain because it's going to be its own living thing. Like it's, it's not anything set in stone. It's going to continuously evolve. Any other kind of thoughts, comments, anything about your work, um, anything that's happening in the Valley or just kind of Texas film at large? I mean, I can only specifically talk for the Valley right now just because I'm here. Um, I mean, it's we, we live in a really beautiful place down here. Like the land is definitely... I mean, people see it maybe as just like space for development and space to like come and build more strip malls. But uh, if you take a, a closer look and you come visit and see, we have so many beautiful nature centers. We have birding centers. We have the butterflies. We have the the South Padre, you know. So there's so many things that um, from, from, from like a, a land eco-conscious point of view like so many things that we should be preserving and being honoring and um learning to live in reciprocity with the land itself um is super important down here and i i mean the the the, the future of texas film i hope that that you know filmmakers down here 
like can make films about this region that don't just focus on the negative aspects of the border and the border communities and not just the negative aspects like but the 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 stereotypical stuff that we see the norm we want to foster people's like um ability to to have access and autonomy over how they're telling their own stories right and how they're being perceived in the media and in pop culture and things like that and there is not just one way of life out here. There's so many varied ways of life and so many types of people living here and so many ideas. Like it's so vast and facet, multifaceted that like if we don't give people the tools to tell those stories, then they won't be archived for the future. And that's the importance of like this preservation aspect of the film center and about um, just in general, just being able to like be like, oh, this was a point in time, you know, and this was a reflection of this time through this person's eyes, you know, and what they are trying to say and what they're trying to get out into the world. So I just hope that like um, for us down here that we are we are pushing against uh, traditional narratives and pushing against uh, stereotypes and trying to encourage one another. Um, you know, I don't believe in like competition or that there's not enough for everyone. I feel like there's more than enough for everyone in terms of, in terms of, um, exploring art and film and and getting film jobs and things like that I feel like there's so much that we can all be we can all be helping each other with and so building like finding that sort of like encouragement and understanding and um, uh, empowerment through through each other and I know that sounds very like idealistic but you know you have to you have to be like hopeful in order to change things you know and like there's the reality of stuff down here for sure and I'm not disregarding that um I don't want to like just brush over that of course there are like tragedies and stuff like that but there's beauty here too and I think that we, it's time that we like highlight that beauty more than just like highlighting the negativity or the perceived negativity of our region. So that's what I'm hoping for the future of this space and film, at least. What a multifaceted artist and so inspiring to see other reinforcement that Texas filmmakers are always supporting each other just to make it happen. The next person we're talking to is Jennifer Bracey, who is an independent producer currently producing two short films in post-production. She's also a film screener for South by Southwest Film, and prior to the pandemic was working with Cinema Touching Disabilities Film Festival, which we'll talk more about in our conversation. As someone living with cerebral palsy, it is a goal of hers to have people with disabilities accurately represented in media and to work with people with disabilities behind the camera as well. Here is Jennifer Bracey. So, yeah, I'd love to hear about kind of how you got started and, um, you know, what you're currently working on. Um, so I started my film career like almost 10 years ago now here. Um, I started in college at uh, the University of um, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And then I um, went to a creative agency. It was like kind of a creative collective, how hyperreal is called Produce. And I started working in film over there. And then from there, I kind of jumped into doing my own producing. And that's where I met Taylor Carmona. And she has a whole film collective also in South Texas that's primarily female-based. And so I'm helping her run that. And then I moved to Austin, where I started with Austin Film Society. Then I got involved with... Um, 
the Austin School of Film and I met Faza and and so I've met several collaborators through Austin School of Film and AFS and it's just been a great journey you know it's it's been really interesting I'm currently working on two independent film projects that are both narrative short films and they've both been happening simultaneously during the pandemic which has been wild and they're both like kind of doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same times and they both explore like women's women's empowerment and and you know female voices both from the Latina perspective and the black women's perspective but um you know because of the pandemic I've been working on both of these short films for over two years oh my gosh so yeah yeah and we've had to keep our crews and and you know make sure everyone stays happy and healthy and and it's been it's been crazy but you know I just you just you just do it I don't the the creative energy is so powerful and just you know we're like we can't let the story go and it was always a matter of well we have to film it we have to film it right now or we're going to be in another wave of this pandemic and we're not going to be able to so it's so I filmed one of them in November and then this other one just wrapped in July so I'm yes it's right in between those two waves and you know everybody ended up staying happy and healthy and that was as much as I could ask for and they're both in post-production now and doing well so it's it's been a real blessing but definitely stressful and I think you just lean on your team and I'm so lucky to be surrounded by such great creatives that you know, we were all just so immersed in it and just, we were like, whatever we have to do, we're going to do. How do you determine who it is that you're collaborating with? Um, well, that's, I'm still kind of trying to finesse that, you know, it's, it's been several years and I've learned different things with different directors. And, um, I, I feel like I gravitate towards short film, but that's not to say that I don't want to work on features. It's just that features tend to have a longer lasting, you know, uh, whole production timeline. You know, I say that as I'm like two years into some short, you know, so I'm, I'm growing into it, you know, but uh, I think I'm probably ready to tackle a feature now. I have done pre-production for one feature, but I didn't continue throughout the whole process. And I think that that's something that I really like to do is be there through from pre-production through post-production so that's also why I like short films because I just I need to see the whole process through so for catharsis the short film I'm working on um, now uh, which is AFS grant funded thankfully it has been such a, a great ride with that um, so I was actually approached by the director Deborah Valson who I had um, interned with at Austin Film Society. So it's kind of through friends and through connection that I, you know, meet people that I want to work with. I, I never worked with Deborah before. So I was just like, you know, I want to try something new and, and really, you know, see what, what, where this can go. And, and her story is just so compelling. So I was, I was on board almost immediately. I was just had to tell this story. And I think the same goes for Taylor Carmona in um, the Corpus in South Texas area is that 
her stories are so absolutely breathtaking and you just get so immersed immediately and it's just she is such a visionary and I think that's also something that I I look for is you know the strength and willingness to continue through tough times and and really make it through a whole production process you know I think that's something that a lot of people don't take into consideration is like the amount of time and effort it takes and the hours that it takes. So um, yeah, to really like kind of suss that out from the director's perspective, you know, is what I look for. And, you know, are we going to be a team? Or are we going to, or is it mostly you or am I, what am I expected to contribute? You know, so I work best when it's a very much collaborative effort. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about your pre-pandemic work and um, the work that you've been doing with Cinema Touching Disability Film Festival. Um, so can you talk a bit about the festival, the vision of the festival, um, and really, you know, kind of your involvement in that type of advocacy? Absolutely. So I first got involved with the Coalition of Texans with Disabilities, which is what the Cinema Touching Disability Film Festival runs out of. I first became involved in that when I was interning at AFS. I, I found out about Cinema Touching Disability Film Festival, and I started as a screener for two seasons, I believe. And then they were kind of like, we need someone to help do this, you know, more, more in a full-time capacity. So they brought me on as their development specialist. Um, I'm no longer working with them in that capacity, but I still very much support the film festival. And I was there for two, um, two seasons of the festival and helped uh, in 2019 with their two-night festival, which uh, RJ Mitty from Breaking Bad was the host. And um, he has cerebral palsy. And so he was able to also talk about his advocacy and what it means for people with disabilities not only be represented in front of the camera, but also behind the camera. And that is also something that I strive for from behind the camera is, um, you know, just making sure that people with disabilities are represented in the media in, in an accurate way and, and, you know, making sure that we are present. I was working with them for a while and, and they're still doing well and it's, it's great, it's going on right now. And they've also added a couple um, virtual options. So you can, they have a virtual series going on now. Um, and it's, it's really great to see such a unique festival here in Austin, especially, but um, you know, it's, it was, cool for me to see that and uh it's a great event for people to see people like themselves on screen and um that's something that this festival brings is it caters to um, people with disabilities but it also wants to bring in the outside world into our world so there's more of a mutual understanding from your perspective as as a producer too and working in production, what are some elements of accessibility that you think listeners might not necessarily be thinking about but could be making change if they are, you know, working on sets or um, even working within the film festival world? Like what is what does that look like and what kind of tips can you give? 
So I think it really just comes down to being really communicative and, you know, asking if they need any accommodations or, um, you know, usually people with disabilities will come up to you and tell you like, I really need help doing this or I'm not going to be able to fulfill this role because of this. But then, you know, I think from a producer's perspective, I really want to, you know, be like, okay, well, you know, you can't maybe do this, but let me put you in this other role that you will thrive in. I think there's a place for everybody behind the set and also on on screen as well. And I think it's just a matter of being open and, and honest and for that to also be um, received from the director and the producers and the higher ups in film. Um, I think it is more accessible to be a person with disabilities in independent film, but definitely, yeah, I just think openness and willingness and, you know, people with disabilities give 110%, you know, and, and they're always working hard. And um, one of the, actually our DP on Catharsis has a disability as well. And I actually met him because of the Cinema Touching Disability Film Festival. He was my DP when I, made a short documentary about people with disabilities and adaptive fashion for that festival. So, and he's, he's incredible and, you know, just always just slaying everything. And he's so great. And, you know, we never let our disabilities stop us. And so it's just got to get out there and do it. <laughs> you know. And I, I'd, I'd love to hear more about the, the doc about adaptive fashion. That sounds so interesting. Can you um, kind of break that down a little bit and, you know, tell us what it's about, how, where the idea came from? Sure. So <laughs> I wasn't like originally even going to be making this documentary, but it came about uh, in 2019 when the Cinema Touching Disability Film Festival was trying to figure out like what their theme was for that year. And then um, the director of the festival had been seeing all, all these things online about adaptive fashion. And he was like, you know, we need to get into this. We need to explore this. And he was like, I think that our theme for this year should be adaptive fashion. <laughs> and I really think Jennifer should make a documentary <laughs> about it. <laughs> so you were basically voluntold. Yes, so I was like, um, that is a big undertaking, but okay, so I did it, and, um, you know, we had this documentary component for adaptive fashion, we found local models here in Austin, Texas, to, uh, and, and makers to make the adaptive clothes, and we actually had a fashion show during the 2019 festival and discussed adaptive fashion, and we had a Stephanie Thomas um, an adaptive fashion stylist from LA come into town and she actually knew RJ Mitty. So it was really a fun time and, and it, it was great. I mean, it ended up being a 20 minute short film, which is uh, a little bit long for a short film, but it was kind of the centerpiece of the festival. So it was great fun for me, great learning experience. And again, you know, it just proves that people with disabilities can be in front of the camera and behind it because it was myself, Armando Martinez, who has the disability. And then our four models also had disabilities. And, you know, we made it work when we needed to take breaks. We took breaks and, you know, we got a little bit more fatigued than usual because the days are long. And, 
you know, it's just about making adjustments because you can make it happen. And, and we did. And uh, that was one of the greatest achievements to date for me. Um, it was a three month long process and we just had a, we had a great time. We traveled a little bit to UTMB to go see their um, adaptive and um, like their orthopedic stuff that they're doing. And, and, you know, we kind of dove into the science behind adaptive fashion. So it was, it was great. And I, I hope to continue making films about disability in some capacity, but I'm not sure where that's going to lead just yet. I think that's what's so interesting about it is you never know like who's out there. And then once you make something, people just come out of the woodwork and they're willing to help. They want to be a part of it. And there's a huge disability community here. And, and I just love to see it more in film here. And um, I think that's one of mine and Armando's goals is to just show that we can do it and keep pushing boundaries. You know, you got to do what you got to do. And it's, you know, it's all about just finding the people who are willing to work with you. And, you know, <laughs> lucky for me, like myself and my crews are willing to go that mile to, to find those people. And, you know, Texas is so good about that. The community is so receptive to creativity. And especially here in Austin, I mean, you mentioned you're making a film and people are like, awesome, what can I do? And I just think, you know, pushing diverse voices to the forefront is really, really where you know, where we need to go and, you know, having more women in film as well is just a tremendous blessing. And it's been, it's been great to be working here in Austin and, you know, meet so many wonderful creatives. So I'm so thrilled. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good that you're still like doing stuff during the pandemic. Cause I know a lot of people have had to put stuff on hold and, you know, so it's great that things are still moving. Yes, it was, it was really tricky to, to keep it moving and to feel like we weren't just drowning, you know, all of us, you know, just so much despair and, you know, it, but it was, it was really important, I think, to keep the creativity going because it gave us all something to look forward to and something to do. Um, a lot of us lost our jobs. I mean, I was unemployed and and a lot of us found us, ourselves in situations personally where we were just like, I don't really know if this film is going to happen. I can't afford my bills right now. And it was just like, you know, okay, we'll do what we can do. And we kind of did put some things on hold for a while on both teams. And then after that, you know, it was kind of like, okay, let's let this settle. And then everybody take a breather. And then we somehow just made it back and we didn't want to let it go. So we didn't and everybody is doing well and getting back on their feet. So now, you know, the fundraising is trickling back in and, you know, God bless the grant makers, you know, AFS really came through for us and just really, really thrilled to be able to do it. And that just gives us further incentive to keep going as well, because it's like, we know we see you, you know, Sometimes when you're by yourself in your apartment, just like, you know, crazily like looking up things and figuring things out. And then to have someone be like, yes, we endorse this is just incredible. Do you have any kind of like last words, comments, thoughts um, around anything like, you know, just Texas film in general, um, 
any of the work that you've done, anything that um, you want to plug? Both of my short films, Catharsis and Lost Vihennis, will both be having uh, last Indiegogo campaigns for post-production. Come check us out on Instagram. Um, I would love to have like that video component so I could show people Lost Vihennis and show them catharsis. I mean, it's just the... I think that the everything that filmmakers go through, you know, when you watch it, you're just like, yeah, this this is good, but you don't see behind the scenes. So you don't know like how much has gone into it. So I just want to show people, yes, like we did it. Links to the short film's Instagrams are in the show notes and on my Instagram post about this episode. So follow and share. I'm sure you're thinking, how do I watch this film about adapted fashion? Well, I did ask about it, and while there's currently not a way to watch it online at the moment, there may be some new updates coming from Jennifer in the future about the status of this project. So stay tuned. Now, y'all know that I couldn't complete this series without bringing you more about Hyperreal. You'll hear from David, who's one of the co-founders, and he takes us through the organization's inception and how the platform is meant to serve other film enthusiasts like myself. So yeah, tell us about how the Hyperreal Film Club started and how you curated this community of, of film reviewers and, and what the intentions are with that aspect of, of uh, the community. So I think in some ways, Hyper Real Film Club started when Tanner and I met back in uh, sixth grade. Uh, we've been friends for, damn, I guess on 20 years at this point. It's been ages. Uh, we we kind of came up together some and um, we, you know, we both ended up in Austin about, I guess, I guess almost six years ago at this point. Um, we, uh, you know, I, I was listening to your episode last week and was, uh, or the, uh, the episode on, um, on movie stores and kind of curatorial, uh, exhibitions and things. And, uh, it was fun listening to that because Tanner and I used to do exactly the same thing, especially all through high school. There was a, a video store called box office and we would just go and roam the aisles. And there, there was a while when we started you know, wanting to like get into um, more of the depths of cinema that we would just wander the aisles and look for anything that had a, a film festival laurel on it. And that's, you know, before, kind of before the internet and before we could research things like that, um, that was like one of the ways that we would look and find movies that, um, you know, we anticipated would have, uh, you know, a little bit of weirdness to them or something that was, uh, you know, it goes a little bit further than like the Hollywood stuff, which of course we also loved. I, I remember one one night we uh, went to Walmart and bought the whole like box set of trimmers and watched the whole trimmers series in one night. I got a bunch of popcorn and pulled the TV into Tanner's bedroom so that we wouldn't disturb his parents. And uh, but yeah, we, we did that sort of stuff all the time. And I feel like our like the idea that eventually became Hyper Real Film Club um, kind of started then. But when when Hyper Real Film Club officially started as an organization, um, it was back in 2016. Um, Tanner and I were both living in Austin and we met Jenny Kay, who's the third co-founder of Hyper Real. And um, it really was like the three of us meeting and the three of us 
exchanging ideas and the three of us like bringing our uh you know desire for community building and our desire to like create an environment where people could come together and um watch movies like make friends do something that was uh like consistent over time um it was kind of those ideas and like our <laughs> you know our i think that we all have and especially at the time had like a really boundless amount of energy to kind of put into this thing i mean it takes you know it takes so much time and energy to like make something like this run i mean we all spend especially at the time we were all spending between 10 15 20 hours a week of you know just volunteer time um i mean we, we don't really think of it as volunteer time because it's like our passion and what we really wanted to be doing but it would take that much time every week to like put the events together, to meet people, to, you know, set up uh, planning meetings to like run everything behind the scenes. So it was, you know, kind of a combination of our desire to like build something that was ours um, to bring people together um, and to kind of create an experience for folks that, you know, turned into hyper real film club. Um, and it's been, you know, we've worked with so, so many amazing people over the run of five years. Um, Nico Trevino is one who's um, who's like really, really, really heavily involved um, from the summer of 20, from like the spring summer of 2019 onwards. And then there's been, you know, just dozens and dozens of other folks that have put in so much to this, this like very collective project. Um, but um, the, uh, the review portion specifically uh, was something that we kicked off in, I believe, November of 2019. Um, it's something that we'd all talked about for a while. Tanner and Jenny and I are all writers, you know, uh, in, I guess kind of however, you know, you want to define that word. Like, uh, we, we all love to write. We all write things. Um, you know, some of us have. Uh, like specific schooling for that. Some of us have like, uh, you know, been in the publishing world um, to various, uh, you know, in various capacities. Um, so it's something that, you know, we, we love reading film writing. We love providing like a place that people can do that and like try out new ways of talking about film. And so in November of 2019, we kind of um, were at the point where we could build that capacity into our website. Um, and Basically, we kind of like, you know, just let it be known like on Instagram and through uh, emails that we would send out and through our events that we were starting up a like a community platform for film writing. And, um, you know, from that start back in 2019 until the present, we've worked with about 60 writers. I think we have probably around like 300 articles published on our site right now. And we generally put like three or four more up every week. Um, it just kind of depends on like who's showing up at any given time. Um, there's some folks that have written one article. There's some that have written 20. Um, it's really like our kind of guiding ethos for the whole thing is like, we want this to be a platform where you can be exploratory, where you can be sincere, um, where you're not going to be like kind of worried about what the editorial like 
heavy hand is going to do. Um, basically, if something aligns with like our kind of our, uh, I don't know how to say it, like general kind of moral ideology about living in the world, then we run like a copy edit on it. And sometimes we'll offer a couple of suggestions, but, um, but really we want to like provide this place where people can explore their thoughts. Um, we do have, uh, we have, you know, a handful of light guidelines that are, are things we've developed over time. And, you know, we try to be thoughtful about the way that we, uh, like show up in the kind of film space, but also the world at large. Um, you know, we generally, there, there have been times that where people have submitted kind of like combative or like apologist sort of work. Um, and we generally stay away from that sort of thing because, but like the way we want to show up is like, uh, it's kind of a celebratory way. We tread, we tread carefully the line around like things that we might consider to be pretentious. Um, one thing that we have tried to be really careful about and like, you know, I usually use the word curating our like film series over time is we, we really want to like be uh, radically like approachable and inclusive. So like we'll play you know, um, like obscure Russian art house films. Um, we'll play like video art pieces that are kind of dense, but we'll also, you know, spend an entire summer like running a Fast and the Furious drive-in. And, um, and that, that like really broad spectrum is really important to us because we want to, I mean, one, we, you know, we love an explosion. Like we will just eat, eat up like spectacles all day long. But I also think that that is like, um, you know, it's an entry point for someone who hasn't like been around film that much and like might want to get into it some. Like I had... I had teachers, like I had people that kind of took me by the hand and like inducted me into the world of like loving a, a wide array of films. And I think that, you know, if someone wants that, like they should have the opportunity to have that. And so we try to, we try to be really intentional about providing that. And I think um, we want our site, uh, like this community of writers um, to kind of act as an extension of that. Um, so, so yeah, we try to, you know, there, there's like a certain, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be disparaging of anyone, but, um, you know, there's a certain type of like film bro, uh, like way of communicating that's like, you should already know about this. And if you don't, I'm not going to spend the time to tell you. Like we, we discourage, we discourage that type of like vibe and writing, um, and the folks that submit, submit writing to us. Like, you know, we don't, we don't want to cultivate that. We don't want to encourage that. We don't want to like perpetuate that in the world. There's, you know, there's enough of that. Um, oh my God, too much of it. Like we certainly have some writing that is like roasting movies, but it's, we're really careful about like doing that in a, in a way that's like 
you know, we love, so like, um, a couple of years ago, we did like, a we published like seven pieces on the, the movie cats, like the one with Idris Elba. And like, that was like such, such a like acid nightmare, but also such a joy. Um, like we, like we, we fucking loved that movie and it was also like, such an atrocity and so it was fun you know it was fun to have like seven different people kind of like roast it in different ways but also be like you know we also loved this i think um the ethos of yeah do whatever you want i think that when i sign off on all of my episodes i'm like thanks for letting me do whatever i want and it's true i mean i feel like i have that kind of freedom um and i guess you know I think it'd be cool to talk a bit about the podcast and where the idea came from and how it kind of happened um, from y'all's side because uh, we really haven't we haven't seen hyper real you know yet on the show so um, I think that'd be cool um, so yeah you want to talk a little bit about that where the idea came from how it all went down we started imagining kind of like our own tiny little podcast network um, during the pandemic summer. Um, we were kind of, you know, hunting around for a way that we could continue to create programming that we felt like was going to be um, meaningful and like inventive and like kind of expose folks to new things. Um, and we teamed up with Graham Cumberbatch, um, who we've worked with a lot over the years. And he created this really incredible, um, like virtual programming series, uh, combined with like writing elements combined with a podcast is this really cool, like multimedia, uh, series that he put together. Um, and this, uh, the whole series was called black is not a genre. And it was kind of centered around the idea that, um, in, in some, in a lot of like mainstream, thinking and outlets and things um, like black films will be kind of pigeonholed as their own genre. Um, and so what Graham did was like really explode that notion. And each week for eight weeks, he talked about um, black films and different genres. And it was really incredible. He had a ton of amazing guests on to like talk about each of these films, you know, getting to work with him on that. And then uh, after that, we worked with, uh, this woman, Emily Basma, and she did um, a series focusing on Arab films. It was really incredible. And then we worked with Nico Trevino, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and he did um, a series he called Cinema Latin Experience. Um, he, he explored a lot of really incredible films as well. Um, but so that was kind of our first foray into podcasting. And each of those was a limited series. And we just felt like it's such a I don't know. It's like such a cool way to like accompany um, our uh, like the way that we want to program films. It was like, you know, an additional way to talk about films, like have really deep conversations with very knowledgeable people um, and also like share, uh, <laughs> you know, share like um, kind of joy and enthusiasm and, and a lot of feelings. Um, you know, just the thing that podcasts do, that some podcasts do really well. When we got around to um, probably the beginning of 2021, um, we were uh, exploring a couple of grants that we wanted to pursue. And 
so one of the things that we wanted to do is, um, you know, come up with some funding to uh, basically like pitch and hire someone to create a film about uh, a podcast about Texas film. Um, we felt like there's, you know, there's just so much to explore, um, so many rich stories to tell, uh, such a, such a like unique uh, culture of film in this state and like such a unique stamp on the films that come out of Texas. Um, and so, <laughs> I mean, not to, uh, you know, break the eighth wall here, but uh, we, you know, we, we put together this, this really loose pitch that was basically just like, you know, we got, we got this amount of money. Like we want to kind of open this up and see what people want to tell us. And then uh, Samantha Ray Lopez, the host of this podcast submitted a truly incredible and so thoughtful and very developed pitch uh, which has now turned into this podcast. It's such a joy. All right. We've made it to the end together. I am so grateful for this experience and the willingness from all of our guests to share their expertise. I've shared some personal stories. You got to hear from some badass artists, some women who are making a difference, and then you got to learn about academia and film commissions and youth programs just so much to cover in so little time this is by no means an exhaustive collection of all of the film related voices in texas honestly we are just scratching the surface there's so much more out there and so many more people with interesting stories and so much talent to those of you who've been following me for a while you know that i've spent almost the entire last year podcasting on a bi-weekly to weekly basis. So I am taking a bit of a break through the end of the year, and I'm going to use this time to look back on all of the learnings from this series, both from the interviews and from the podcast production perspective, and also take some time to reflect and process some of the things that I just haven't properly made space for. More creative projects from me are coming soon, though. I'm always happy to have these conversations online, so you know how to reach me. Uh, but just wanted to give you a heads up that it's going to be a while before you hear my voice again. Unless, of course, you go back and listen to all of my other podcasts, which you're totally welcome to do. I hope that this series has given you some insight into why Texas is such a vibrant film community that breeds great stories and highly skilled talent. Thank you to all of our guests in this episode, C. Diaz, Jennifer Bracey, and David McMichael. And another major thank you to everyone else who has contributed to the show, especially my team, Laura Rivero, the editor who has been so easy to work with and a true collaborator, and Chloe Carcamo, who jumped in after the series had already started to keep me organized, and she helped put together promotional assets, all kinds of stuff. Thanks, Chloe, for truly having my back. And thank you for spending your summer with me to listen to the complete series of Hyperreal Film Club Presents, Texas Film in Focus. This would be the time where I tell you to stay tuned, but instead I'd like to ask that if you know anyone who would be interested in this topic, to please share this with them. Shoot them a text with a link and say, hey, I like the show and I think you might too. Oh, and also rate the show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help get more ears on it. 
As always, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at sraylopez, that's S-R-A-E-L-O-P-E-Z, for more future podcasting stuff and plenty of mundane Instagram stories of my dog. Follow Hyper Real Film Club on Instagram at Hyper Real Film Club or at the website hyperrealfilm.club for upcoming events, ways to contribute to the Hyper Real community, and more podcast series. Texas Film in Focus was produced and hosted by me, Samantha Ray Lopez. Our editor slash sound designer was Laura Rivero. And our podcast admin assistant was Chloe Carcamo. Special thank you to Hyper Real Film Club for trusting in me to take on this project and the Texas Commission on the Arts for their financial support.